So when you're taking a road trip to see your favorite musician in concert, there's an argument that you might have with the people you're going with. And the question is this, do you listen to that musician on the way to that musician's concert? There are two very strong opinions on this. Only one of them can be right, but both hold to their position with a religious zeal. One side would say, no, if you don't want to spoil the fun. If, if you knew that two weeks from today you were going to have the very best wedding cake that there ever was, wouldn't it taste so much better if you didn't eat any cake between now and then, any dessert at all between now and then? How much better would that bite of cake taste? And so no, no, don't listen to the artist on the way to their concert lest you ruin the thrill of them coming out on stage and playing that first song and ah, there it is, right? That's one school of thought. Others will say, well, if you are taking a trip to the autumn leaves over in Pennsylvania, wouldn't you on the way look at pictures of them and get excited about it? Like, don't you want to see and get a taste of what you're about to enjoy so that the road trip will be that much more enjoyable? You can spend your time on the road getting excited about where you're going, and then the traffic jam doesn't feel so bad because you're excited about where you're going, and then the rain on the windshield doesn't feel so bad because you're excited about where you're going. If you were taking a, Mich- a, a, a trip up to Lake Michigan, you would look at pictures on the way of the sun setting over Lake Michigan. If you were going to see the autumn leaves, you would look at pictures of the autumn leaves on the way. Why not listen to the artists that you're going to hear in concert? Now, I laid that before you, and I'm not going to answer it because the scriptures don't answer. You can just keep arguing. Uh, But when it comes to the longer journey that we are on as Christians, your walk with Jesus Christ to the new heavens and new earth that he will build for us, The scriptures fall very squarely in the second camp on that issue, giving us so many pictures of where we are headed so that when the rain falls on the windshield, our eyes are thinking about where we're headed and we're excited. So that when the traffic jam comes and we get frustrated, then we're thinking about where we're headed and we're glad. If you're just joining us, we are almost at the end of a series on the Psalms of Ascent, which is a collection of 15 psalms given to the people of Israel, gathered together for the people of Israel, so that they could sing them on the way from their hometowns up to the mountain of Jerusalem, where they would gather three times a year for festivals of worship. Now, if you've been here for this whole series, you're getting used to hearing me saying this. The journey they took was long, it was exhausting, and it was dangerous. But they were going from a place where God was far to a place where God was near. And so they took cheer the whole way. And along the way, they were traveling in groups. So they weren't alone. And they had these songs to sing the whole way. And in that way, that journey to Jerusalem is like your Christian life. A journey from where God is far to where he will finally dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. A journey that is long and exhausting and dangerous at times, but a journey that you don't walk alone. You have brothers and sisters right next to you, and we have songs to sing the whole way. We are working these psalms from the outside in because they're arranged symmetrically. And today, we're getting very close to the center. We're going to look to the ones on either side of the center. Centerpiece is Psalm 127. Today, we look at the two sides of it, 126 and 128. 
Each pair refined and correspond with each other and have something in common. What these two psalms have is they paint us pictures that are the equivalent of listening to the artist you're going to see on the way to their concert. The the equivalent of beautiful pictures of the autumn leaves on your way to go see the autumn leaves. Pictures of the land where we are heading. Each of them has a lot of meaning in their own right. And in fact, the second one I preached to you about a year ago on the family. But taken together, they give us pictures of the land that we are headed to. Let's read Psalm 126 and then 128. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues are shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And Psalm 128, also a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The words of the Lord. Well, through those two psalms, the Spirit paints for us pictures of the home, the homecoming, and the harvest that he has prepared for us. The overall message of the Bible, the most important truth in the Bible, is that Jesus Christ is God who has come to earth, and he came to earth to seek and save the lost. Each of us, born dead in our sins, born blind to the truth and lost in the dark, but our God came to earth as a man named Jesus, lived perfectly, died to pay for our sins, rose from the dead to guarantee us eternal life, and then ascended up into heaven where he sits now at the right hand of God his Father. Now, the most important thing I could tell you today is that he has done that, and he holds openly in his hand forgiveness for sins and eternal life to anyone who would come to him and receive him. Now, many of you here I know, and you have received that gift from him. Maybe some of you haven't. And I want to call you, if you would like to see forgiveness for your sins, if you would like to see a relationship with the God who made you and is calling you back to himself If you want to live under a Lord whose ways are good, my call to you is come to Jesus Christ and find those things in him. Now, he is right now sitting at the right hand of God, his Father, but a day is going to come, a day that is fixed, and the Father knows when he comes back for his people. And when he does, that's the end of our Christian journey. And what he's going to do is he will come down from the skies And those of us who have died will rise from the dead. And all of the those who have died in Christ over thousands of years will all rise from the dead. And they will meet him up in the air as he's coming down. And then 
we, if we are still here on earth, we will begin rising and we will meet him in the air. And so it says we will always be with him after that. Now, that's a pretty incredible sight. And now some of us disagree about what happens in the immediate days following that. But we agree on this, where it lands, we dwell with Jesus Christ forever on the new heavens and the new earth. That's really hard to imagine. What's that going to be like? Right? It's like trying to describe the autumn leaves to somebody who's never seen them before. Right? Incredibly hard to imagine. But the scripture gives us a lot of pictures of things we have seen and things that we long for in our hearts so that we can better understand what is coming. That way, when you hit a bump in the road on your Christian journey, well, you still know what's coming to you. That way, when there's the equivalent of construction and a traffic jam on your Christian journey and you're frustrated, well, you still know where you're headed and you still have hope. These two Psalms give us three pictures of what it will be like when we finally dwell with the Lord forever. A picture of a joy-filled home, a picture of a joy-filled homecoming, and a picture of a joyful harvest. We'll spend some time walking through each, and I want to use them to paint for you pictures of what is awaiting. As it is said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can fathom what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's look at Psalm 128 first. We'll look at the second one first, where we see the picture of a joy-filled home. So this psalm, this psalm starts out just celebrating the blessings of a God-fearing husband and father. Uh, it paints a picture of a home where there is happiness, where there is plenty to go around, and no one wonders if there's going to be any more Cheerios tomorrow, because there are plenty of Cheerios everywhere. The fields are producing, and there's all we need. And it is led by a man who loves and fears the Lord God. And then we look to his wife, and his wife, she is flourishing like a fruitful vine in the house. And people look at her and say, she has never been so happy, she has never been so productive. Look at this blessed woman. And then we look to the children, and the children are just shooting up like olive shoots around them. Look at them growing so fast. Oh, there's another one. Wow. And they're just growing and amazing us. Uh, a beautiful home filled with plenty, filled with productivity, filled with children. The kind of home that when those people walk into church, you look and you say, oh, what a, what a beautiful family. How blessed are those people? Who wouldn't want to be a wife in that house? Who wouldn't want to be the son or the daughter of this person that this psalm is talking about? So it celebrates the blessings of a home led by someone who fears the Lord. And then it pivots in verses 5 and 6. From celebrating those blessings to essentially crying out to God, Oh God, would it be this way for all of God's people? Right? It's not like that for everybody. Oh, but would the Lord bless you, every last one of you? Would you all have that joy? Would you all see your children's children? Would, would all of Jerusalem have prosperity? Would peace be upon all of Israel? So it moves from celebrating that picture to longing for a day when everyone gets that. Because the hard truth here is not everybody gets that, right? Longing for a day when everyone gets a home like that. Well, a beautiful picture like that was for Israel both a promise and a principle of wisdom. 
The promise is not ours like it was Israel's, but the principle of wisdom is. It worked like this for them. Their law promised them, the Lord said, if you will fear me and keep my ways, I will bless you beyond measure, right? Your wives, your children, your fields, like how much abundance and fruitfulness will there be? If only you would fear me and walk in my ways. And so an Israelite man knew, if I want a home like this, all I have to do is follow Israel's law, follow God's law. And there was a promise, if they kept that law, this would happen to them. Christians today are not under Israel's law, and so both those promises and those curses all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we can't claim that promise for us. We can't say one-to-one, if his wife is flourishing, it must be because he fears God. If his wife is not, it must be because he does not fear the Lord. We can't take that promise today as Christians, but we can take the other part, and that's the wisdom principle. When a home is led by a man who fears God, who considers himself accountable to God for the way he treats his wife and the way he leads her and the way he treats his children and raises them. Well, then he loves her sacrificially. He puts her needs above his own and he does everything he can to provide for her and the children. And he does everything he can to protect them and keep them safe. And so his wife knows I'm loved. I'm provided for. I'm protected. And the kids know we're loved. All our needs are met. We're safe in this house. And mom and dad are teaching us ways that are good. That creates the conditions for people to flourish. One of the big leadership principles in the Bible, maybe the biggest leadership principle in the Bible, is that people tend to flourish when their leaders fear God. When their leaders consider themselves accountable to God for how they lead, that tends to create the conditions for a group or for people to flourish. That works in the home as well. When the father fears the Lord and when the mother fears the Lord, the conditions are there for his wife to become the very best version of herself that she can be. The conditions are there for those kids to rise up like olive shoots. You know, you keep feeding them and they're going to grow. Like that's what kids do, right? You keep teaching them the word of the Lord and they're going to grow into healthy adults. That tends to be how it works. So we don't have the promise that Israel had today, but we do have that wisdom principle. When leaders fear God, they create an environment that's safe, that's loving, where needs are met. And there are the conditions for a wife and for children to just flourish. Well, interestingly, the Bible uses all three of those pictures, a house, a a wife flourishing, and children flourishing, uses all three of them to talk about what things will be like when we are dwelling with Jesus forever at the end of all things. I'll give you the house first. Uh, David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. So that place that he's prepared for us that we can't quite imagine, one good picture we have of it is just a joy-filled house, that perfect family, that perfect home that you want to be a part of. Not only that, but a flourishing wife is actually a picture of the church in the care of Jesus Christ. When the New Jerusalem comes down in Revelation, 
the prophet is told, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And it says, so she comes down like a bride adorned for her husband. Um, in another place, wives and husbands are taught in Ephesians 5 how to, how to relate to each other. And the picture is for husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church. And for wives to honor their husbands as, churches, as the church honors Jesus Christ. And so her role in that marriage and her flourishing in that marriage is meant to show us what it will be like when the church is finally yoked to our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And this is why the book of Second John, it's a letter, it's addressed to churches all over the world, and it's addressed with this really funny beginning, to the elect lady and her children, right? You ever receive a letter that said to the elect lady and her children? Like, who is that for, right? Well, we have a word in our culture, the bride elect. Maybe you've been invited to a, a bridal shower, and it will say, uh, Emily Howell, the bride elect of Dave Cook. That's what our invitations say. That means this is the woman that he has chosen to marry, and he wants to. He hadn't married her yet. She's not his bride yet, but she's the bride of his choosing. He wants to marry her. Uh, in a similar way, the church is the one that Jesus Christ has set his heart on and said, in essence, I'm going to marry that girl, right? I can't wait to marry her. We are his chosen lady. We are the one he wants to marry. So the church all together, one picture of us is a wife flourishing in a good house under the good leadership of a godly man. It's one way we can understand the church. Not only that, but the individuals in the church are all called children of God. And that's why that letter says to the elect lady and her children, right? The whole church together and each of the children within it. So you are, if you're a Christian, a part of the bride of Christ, and you are individually a child of God. The scriptures say, how great the love lavished on us all that we should be children of God. Uh, Jesus says, if anyone should cause one of these little ones of mine to stumble, he calls us little ones, we're precious as children to him. We are the children of God, the bride of Christ together, and we will dwell there in his house. And so when we get a picture then of a joy-filled house with plenty in it, and a, a godly man leading it, and a wife flourishing under his care, and children rising up and flourishing under his care. Well, yes, we do get a picture of the kind of homes we want to build as Christians. But more importantly than that, we have a picture of the church flourishing in the house of Jesus Christ forever. That's what this psalm is ultimately about. And that's why it pivots the way it does to saying, oh, we want to see these blessings upon all the people of Jerusalem. So that was a lot of setup for our first point this morning. The first point really simply is that when we are finally home, we will flourish as Christ's bride and as God's children. When we're finally home, we'll flourish as Christ's bride and as God's children. It is hard to imagine what that will be like. What will your resurrected body look like? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Uh, when, when you are risen from the dead, raised from the dead, and you look over next to you, and the, and the person next to you is raised from the dead, what will their resurrected body look like? 
We don't know, but I can give you a, a picture. Have you ever not seen your nephew or your grandchild or somebody for a year, two years, and then gone to Christmas gathering with the family and seen them, and they've grown two years of growth? And have you ever just said, my goodness, how you've grown? You ever said that to a child, right? You still recognize them. It's still them, right? But it's this like better, more striking version of them. And you're like, this is incredible. Like you're, you're growing. That is something of what it will be like. Like children, just the way they rise up around the table and you blink and it feels like you've missed them. Uh, that is something of what it will be like when we see one another in resurrected bodies and we say, wow, incredible right? Uh, sometimes, you, you know, it's, it's, it's like, how, how did this little baby who had all these little rolls that I used to have to clean under in the bath, how did he become a man? Like, what happened, right? Well, that amazement is a little bit of what we will feel when we see the people of God, one another, just rising up and flourishing as God's children, We'll recognize each other, but it will be such a striking, wonderful version of each other that we'd be more amazed than you're about to be at Thanksgiving dinner when you see one of your relatives who's a child and say, wow, you have grown so very much. We will be resurrected into a glorified body that is imperishable and immortal with a heart that is fully restored And there will be no threats around us. No one will worry about climate change in that kingdom. No one will worry about elections or politics in that kingdom. No one will worry if there will be enough food in that kingdom, what inflation is going to be like. No one will be concerned with these things because all of our needs will be met and we will be safe forever. Now just try to imagine what will perfected, sinless people do in a perfect kingdom like that. I mean, what will we build together under the lordship of Jesus? What work will we do? How wonderful will society be? Hard to imagine, isn't it? But one picture you have is that wonderful family that you see every once in a while and you say how blessed they are. So the first thing we need to do in response then is just imagine that perfect home. They walk into church with all their striking kids, and you're just like, wow, isn't that incredible? And and take that in, receive that as a picture of what you have waiting for you in the house of the Lord. This is such good news for probably the majority of us who wish that we had that in real life. I know that when we read a psalm like that, uh, some of you read of a father like this, and you say, I wish, right? Or of a husband like that, and you say, in in your singleness, I wish. Or in your broken or disappointing marriage, I wish. Or I wish he was still around, right? So few of us are living in the moment in a house just like that, under a godly man like that. But the good news of a picture like this is that even if you're missing out on it in this life, all you're missing out on is the picture, 
Right? To go through life without that kind of family, without that kind of marriage, which is an, it's a longing on all of our hearts. It can feel like you have missed the good stuff in life. But what you have missed is the equivalent of taking that vacation to see those autumn leaves and you're looking on your phone at all these pictures of the beautiful autumn leaves and then your phone dies. Picture's gone. Now you can't look at the pictures anymore. But guess what? You're still going on vacation to see the autumn leaves in person, right? So in the worst case scenario for God's people, we may lose the picture. The picture may be shattered and broken, but all we are losing is the shadow. And at the end of all things, we gain the substance. The reason the picture is there is so that we can hope for the substance that is to come when Jesus returns. And so what good news for those of us that wish that our homes were like that. We may have missed out on that in this life, so many of us, but we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that, my friends, is good news. We do, though, have some things we can take home for how we can live our lives. A picture like this means something to us as husbands, as wives, as parents, and all of us are children of somebody. What does it mean for us? Well, husbands, it means that your headship in your home, and I hope you know you are the head of your home, uh, it is meant to be a picture of Christ's headship of the church, which is good for the church. Right? Do we celebrate as a church that Jesus Christ is our head and our leader? Yeah, we do. Right? And so the question I want to ask you, if the Lord has given you that high of an office in your home and has made you a husband in that house, is your leadership of your family a blessing to them? Are they better off because they have you leading them? At the end of all things, when, when Jesus Christ brings judgment upon all and, and your wife is called before him to give an account and she is compelled to speak the truth, she will not speak out of bitterness, she will not speak lauding praises you don't deserve when she's compelled to speak the truth and he asks, was his leadership a blessing to you? What will your wife say? Is your leadership a blessing to her? I ask this because I hope you are seeing the connection here. It is God who has made you husband in that house. And what he calls of you is the kind of sacrificial love, the kind of leadership, the kind of provision, the kind of protection that makes her say, this is a good home. I am so glad I am in this particular home. He does that because he wants every spiritual being who sees how the two of you interact and every child raised in your home and every guest who comes over and everyone who sees the two of you interact at church, he wants them to have a good picture of what it is like to be the bride of Christ and to flourish under Christ's leadership. So husbands, I ask you, is this the way that you live with your wives? Is this the way that you lead your wives? It means something for wives as well. I hope you can see in a picture like this uh, the, the honorable place that the Lord has put this man in your home. It's God who designed marriage. And it's God who made the husband's love a picture of Christ's love for the church. And don't miss this connection, wives. It is the Lord who made that man husband in your home. The same Lord that designed the whole thing has made him 
your husband. And so how much honor does this man deserve in your home? He is an image and a picture of Jesus Christ's love for the church. The blessing and benefit he brings you, whatever it is, is a picture of the church flourishing in the care of Jesus Christ. So he's got an honorable place in your home. And wives, what I want to ask you is, does he know that by the way you treat him? Do, do you treat him with, with honor and with even a reverence that comes with a, with a place and a position like that in the home? And how much more is he worthy of if he actually does this honorably, right? Just to be given a spot like that by the Lord, no man is worthy of that. But what an honor that is to be a husband in the home. How much more if he does love you sacrificially? If you go to bed at night not fearing for your safety because he keeps you safe, if all your needs are provided for, if you walk around every day knowing that you are loved and you are cherished and all the conditions are there for you to flourish, Oh, how much honor that man deserves. So, ladies, honor your husbands in your home. It means something for parents, too. We see the way those children rise up in verse 3 and 4 like, like olive shoots, right? Uh, parents, the Lord gave you these children so that they can rise up like that. He wants his children raised in a home where all their needs are met, and they don't have to wonder. Uh, a home where mom and dad love each other, and, and we don't have to worry about them fighting and screaming at each other and hurting each other. A home that is, that is just. That is where when the kids do wrong, the punishment fits the crime, right? Mom and dad don't fly off the handle at the smallest thing, so the kids don't live in fear of when mom is going to blow up next or when dad is going to blow up next or whether dad had too much to drink. And on the other hand, it's not too permissive either, so the little sister doesn't fear what the big brother is going to get away with because there is justice in this home and discipline is handed out in this home. But no, good, just discipline and governing of a house well, there, there are the conditions where kids thrive, right? Because they don't have to be scared. A home where the ways of the Lord are taught, where the scripture is opened both in the church and around the dining room table and in the bedrooms. And then the children are constantly taught the ways of the Lord. There are the conditions for children to flourish into everything that God has designed them to be. And so parents, I want to ask you, is the way that you raise your children does it show them God as Father? When they read how great the love lavished on us all that we should be children of God, will that connect with your children because they know what it means to be someone's child? Some people, when they hear Jesus teach us to pray our Father who is in heaven, uh, we bristle, right, because your earthly father was nothing like what we're supposed to picture God like. What are your, what are your children like when they, when they are taught to pray our Father? Does that image connect with them? Is your love for them the kind of love that makes them say, oh, that's what it's like. Okay, I get it. I understand how God is now. This is what the Lord wants for his children. He wants of us parents. So parents, raise your, way, raise your children in a way that blesses them. Children, and this is all of us, right? We're all somebody's children, even if we're adults. Uh, do, do you see what 
an honor the Lord has given your parents to make them parents. Uh, It's God who made fatherhood and parenthood a picture of his love for us. And it is God who made that man your father and that woman your mother. And if you were adopted, then you maybe even have another set of parents. You got more people to honor than the rest of us do, right? Uh, Do they know what an honorable state the Lord has given them by the way that you treat them? There's another part of the wisdom literature that says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Children, do you you rise up? Adults, do you you honor your parents through adulthood in a way that says of the heart, I thank God that he gave you to me as a mother or father? Regardless of whether they act in line with this picture, it's the Lord that made them your parents. So children, adults, honor your parents. There's the first picture of heaven that we have waiting for us. Oh, let's just linger on it. You've seen a house like that, right? Sometimes they walk into church, and and I hear the old men talk, and wow, what a beautiful family. They'll say, wow, look at those children, right? They'll say of families who walk in here. We're amazed at a happy, joy-filled home. Well, church, take heart. That is exactly what you have waiting for you at the end of all things under the headship of Jesus Christ. So there's our first picture. When we're finally home, we'll flourish as Christ's bride and as God's children. Let's flip back to 126, and I'll combine the other two pictures into one. This psalm gives us a picture of a homecoming and then a harvest to describe us entering the kingdom. The first section, verses 1, 2, and 3, they talk about the return from the Babylonian exile. So if you don't know the story, for about 70 years, the people of Israel had been conquered by Babylon, taken captive, and they had to all go live in Babylon. So they kept from their home. So then, 70 years later, Israel had been conquered by Persia, and the king of Persia decided to let them go home. So they are going home. Uh, The 72-year-old man going home that day hasn't seen Jerusalem since he was two And the 69-year-old man has never seen Jerusalem. That's how long they've been away from their homes. But they're going back, and the picture is just one of total glee. It says, we were like those who dream. Like, basically, we thought we were dreaming. We were pinching each other and slapping each other on the face. Like, is this real? Yep, this is real. This is really happening. It says, our mouths were filled with laughter because we were just in disbelief that we got to go home and our mouths were just full of shouts of joy. So it is this celebrating parade as they are going home and the the nations are watching saying, wow, look at them. The Lord has done a wonderful thing for them. And they say, yeah, the Lord has done great things for us and, and we're glad. You can picture a joyful homecoming like that. Well, then the psalm turns And it says in verse 4, basically, Lord, do it again, right? Restore our fortunes. Same words as verse 1. When the Lord restored our fortunes, now it's, oh, Lord, restore our fortunes. It goes from celebrating how joyful that homecoming was to longing for a day when we have a homecoming. This is because the prophets say over and over again, I will gather them. When that day comes, when the kingdom comes, he says, I will gather them from all the nations from where I have driven them, and I will plant them there, and they will be my flock, and there they will be fruitful and multiply. He's going to gather us all together. There's going to be a great homecoming when the kingdom comes, and then we will, it says, flourish. 
Then it uses a different image in verses 5 and 6. It's the image of a harvest. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. So this is a picture of someone who is going out day after day, sowing seed into his field, and he's weeping because it's not producing. But in this day, he's going to come back home with his hands full of the harvest he has planted, and he is going to be shouting for joy. That also, like the other two images, is one of the Bible's big pictures of the coming of the kingdom of God. The scripture says, for instance, that the kingdom of heaven is is like a farmer. He sows uh, seed on all of the soils, right? And this one produces, but it withers. So he's sad. This one doesn't produce at all. This one produces, but it withers. But then the good soil, it produces, it grows strong, and then it gives a fruit of 30, 70, 10, even 100 fold. So there's a harvest that comes. So will the kingdom of heaven be. Uh, He says in another place, I quoted this parable a few weeks ago, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out and sows his field and he knows how to do it and he does it all right and then he goes home and he sleeps and it all grows while he sleeps and he doesn't know how. But when the harvest comes, he gets the sickle out because he knows harvest is ready. The kingdom is going to be like that. It speaks of the kingdom coming like a harvest of fish also. Jesus says to the disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, right? And then there's the parable of the kingdom of heaven is going to be like a net full of fish that gets pulled in and the servants are going to take it and sort out the good fish from the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age that the good from the bad will be sorted. So there's this picture of one day all of this sowing of gospel seed that we have been doing all of this fishing for men that we have been doing, one day there's going to be a harvest of all of it. And on that day, some of the harvest will be revealed to have been bad fish. Some of the people that I baptized were not true converts, and we'll we'll find out. They go one way. And then the pile of good fish, the pile of good wheat, will be so big that we will be full of joy. We sow the seed of the gospel now in tears, right? It's hard work. But in that day, we are going to reap it with shouts of joy. And so the second big point then is that we plant the gospel in tears, but we will reap a harvest of joy. Hard to imagine also what that day might be like, right? Who's going to do the sorting? Is it the angels? Is it us? Is it Jesus? Like, what's it going to look like? What are the sounds going to be like? What's it's just hard to imagine, right? But, but you get pictures like this to know what it's going to be like. The joy in your heart will be maybe like the last time a close friend told you that, that they were having a baby. Isn't it? I don't know if you're like me, but when one of my friends tells me that, that the wife is pregnant... Um, I just kind of lose it in exhilaration. Like, it just makes me so glad and happy. Uh, That kind of, like, disbelief and laughter and heart, that's just a small picture of what it's going to be like. Or imagine maybe if you were to scrape together a thousand dollars. It'd be tough for some of us. Some of us would weep over what we lost if we had to scrape together a thousand dollars and we invested it in something. And then you're sitting at the kitchen table and the, the banker calls 
and says, hey, I have really, really good news. You're not going to believe this. Uh, log into your account and, and check the balance. I want you to see it when you hear it. He says that that $1,000 you invested, the company went public. Their stock is trading like crazy. It is now worth $10 million. You and your family have reaped $10 million from that investment. You would kind of have a hard time believing that, right? And then you'd log in and you'd see the balance and you'd be like, something's wrong with the computer, right? Like it's just disbelief. It's just hard to believe that. And as it sunk in, you just laugh with joy. Like this changes everything. And that is what it is going to be like. When he comes back and you begin, I mean, if he does it right now, you're sitting in pews right now. And you're going to be like literally levitating off of the pews. And you're going to look down and you're like, what is happening, right? And then some of you just looked up and thought, well, how are we going to work that out? I don't, I don't know. But the Lord will work out the fact that there's a roof over our heads. And it, it, Ten seconds later, you'll be looking down and there's 30 feet between you and the earth. And then you look over and see the person you're sitting next to and their body has been changed into a resurrection body. Meanwhile, all of the graves of our loved ones have given up their dead to go and be with Jesus in the body forever. I mean, you're going to be looking around and saying, what is happening, right? You're going to be laughing with joy and disbelief. You're going to be shouting with joy. And if people are watching this and not getting to participate in it, they're going to say, the Lord has done a great thing for them. And we're going to say, yeah, he has, and we're glad. So if the point here is that we're planting the gospel in tears right now, but we'll reap it with a harvest of joy, what we need to do now is sow the seed of the gospel as liberally as we can, as generously and abundantly as we can. Think about the words from the sage in Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes eleven six. He says, in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening don't withhold your hand. Keep sowing your seed. For you don't know which field will produce, whether this field or that field is the one that's going to produce. So just sow in all of the fields and, and take what comes. Right? This is the mystery of farming. Uh, if you've ever planted a garden or if you have ever been a farmer, you know this tension well. You plant not knowing if it's going to produce or not. All of your labor might be in vain. Or it may produce abundantly, right? You don't know. But one thing you do know, you will reap in some proportion to how much you sow. Whatever you get, if you had sowed twice as much, you would have gotten twice as much. If you had sowed half as much, you would have gotten half as much, right? So his advice is just sow in all of the fields, right? Seed is cheap, so sow everywhere, and then you know you'll get abundance that way. As we sow the seed of the gospel, the logic is the same. Uh, it is hard to be the only person in your office who talks about Jesus. Uh, it is hard to share the gospel with your dad. Uh, it's hard to give a sound representation of Jesus in a hostile online environment. It can be hard to bring the gospel to your children who don't want to talk to you anymore because they're angry with you. Most of the people we would share the gospel with, it's hard to do. And you might literally sow the gospel in tears because it's so hard to do. But sow your seed in the morning, and then in the evening, sow the seed again. Because you, you don't know which of these people 
are going to be the ones who respond to the gospel. You do know that you will reap in proportion to how much you sow. And so when the end of the ages comes, you are likely to see fruit from labors that you forgot about. And you're going to just erupt in joy. So sow it as liberally as you can. I wonder if some of you who teach children's Sunday school have a student who you just forgot all about and you will meet one day in heaven and they will say, uh, you know, after I left your class, I went into deep rebellion and you probably thought I just went off the deep end and never came back uh, and things got to rock bottom and I just remembered something you said in Sunday school class that you've never run so far from the Lord that he won't take you back. Um, and those words that you said rung in my ear. And so I got a Bible out and I just started reading it. And I've received Jesus as Savior. Uh, and I came to Christ and I stuck with it all the way. And now here I am celebrating with you. Uh, you're going to say, I don't, I don't even remember saying that, right? Like, I forgot about that labor that I did, but here is a harvest that I didn't even know I was going to have coming. Uh, some of you will have strangers that you talked to once, and you will have no idea what the Lord did with the words that you said to them. But as you have sowed the gospel in tears, because it's hard work and it feels like nobody's ever going to come, in that day, you are going to reap it with shouts of joy. So take heart. Find all those fields in your life. Family members who don't know the gospel, co-workers, people you know because they're your neighbors and you talk to, people who could be in your life because they're neighbors, but you don't talk to them. Find all of those fields. Who are they? And just sow that gospel seed as liberally as you can. I can't tell you if it's going to reap tenfold or a hundredfold, but I can tell you, you will reap in proportion to how much you sow. So there we have three pictures then. The picture of a beautiful home where everyone's flourishing, that family that we all want. Uh, a picture of a homecoming where everyone is gathered together filled with joy. And a picture of a great harvest that is surprising. It is better than we ever thought we had. Now, if we stare at those pictures on this journey, then when the rain hits the windshield and it gets tough to see on the road, it's not so bad because we know where we're going. And when the traffic jam comes because of the construction or the wreck up there, it's, it's not so bad. It's not so frustrating. And I say that because some of you have rain on your windshields right now. Some of you are going through a traffic jam or a big roadblock on the way to where you're going. But take heart. Meditate on the pictures. Take them all the way into your heart. Because church, we are headed somewhere that we can't even imagine. Let's pray together.